recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. Today is Saturday, July 27th, 2013. We will be presenting our third installment of Answering the Shells. You know, as I said very emphatically at the beginning of the program last week, this is not about me, this is not about my ego, this is not about, it's not really about any of the accusations that Joseph November and, and the other charlatans in the Jewish quarter of Christian identity say about me. Rather, it's about the truth. It's about where identity Christians should stand and whether we care to stand in the truth or whether we care for politics and labels whether we care for appearances, whether we care what the world thinks about us, because Christians should not care what the world thinks about them. Christians, real Christians, should seek the truth and stand in it in the face of all adversity, whether it's popular or not, whether it's politically correct or not, whether it's going to get them persecuted or not. It doesn't matter. It's immaterial. I'd like to, um, last night I, I, I took a few moments, and, and I do every day in my prayers, believe me, to thank my supporters and, and those people who make Christogenia.org possible. Every once in a while I like to talk about how effective we are at Christogenia, and, and I'm going to do that for a minute tonight. People might think I'm bragging. I, I, I don't care. I'm just stating facts. They can be checked out. Go to Alexa.com, put Christogenia.org into the search engine at Alexa, and you will find out that Christogenia.org is in the top 240,000 websites in the world for the last 90 days. Now, in June and July, we always get a lull. We always drop off. Well, Christogenia.org was in the top 180,000 websites in the world for the last 30 days. And, and we're headed that way for, for the 90-day for, for their main ranking number. Okay. Christogenia.org is in the top 6,000 websites in the United States currently. And, and that's where we stand. No Christian identity site has ever been that effective. We've gotten 80,000-plus downloads from our main website the last two months. And so far as of last night, this month, we have another 68,000, and we're headed for 80,000 again. We get over 700 visits a day at Christogenia to the main site alone. So, so I think we're being very effective in spreading our message. Most half of the people that come to Christogenia never come back. And, and that's our bounce rate is 50%. And they see one page and they leave and they never come back. And I expect a lot of that. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that we get as many people as we do to stay on the site. The average visit time is at least five minutes most days and, and sometimes as long as eight or nine. Hello, Brian. I have Sword Brethren here with me once again. Hello. And we're going to discuss Shills Part 3, continuing to answer the slander of Joseph November in, in the 21-page paper that he published and has on his website concerning me um, just last month. Hello, Brian. Hello. How are you doing? I was just going to ask real quick, how is um, Mr. November's site doing? Well, well you know, I, I probably shouldn't talk about him because... I have the proof, I have the screenshots that are on the Christogenia forum. Before we started this series, his, his rating was 8.8 .8 million in the world. 
And now it's about three point something million. So his his website traffic's probably doubled or tripled since I started talking about him. Hey, but With, his is .com. The .org is still beating him. Well, well, yes, AngloSaxonIsrael.org is is better is doing better than AngloSaxonIsrael.com in the, the Alexa rankings. I'm beating Joseph November at his own name. Yes, I am. And yes, AngloSaxonIsrael.org is my website. I, I wonder, how are we still using the Internet? He guaranteed the Illuminati was going to shut down the Internet last year. Well, well right, and we're going to get to that too, right? Uh, according to Joseph November, the Illuminati, the, the Zionist Jews were going to shut down the Internet on December 21st, 2012, well, along with all the other horrors that were going to happen that year. But let me say that um, I decided to create AngloSaxonIsrael.org when breaking with Joseph November... He would not give up the Christogenos program name. Christogenos is a word that I coined. I, I am the owner of the domain site, of, of the domain names Christogenos.org, Christogenos.net, Christogenos.com. I registered them around the same time I registered Christogenia. I held on to them. I created them and registered them Christogenos.info. I, I held on to them to protect my intellectual property. He's absconded my name. I haven't made any complaints about it yet. I won't make a formal complaint. I'm not a Jew. But, you know, a man that thinks that I'm a race trader probably shouldn't be using a word that I coined. Probably wouldn't, shouldn't be using a name that, 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 um, that, that I hold the domains to. I mean, if the man thinks that I'm a race trader, why would he want to be associated with me? He's a damn hypocrite. I mean, if you gave me a... Christogenia t-shirt or a hat. I, I know you don't have those things. You don't have apparel, but if you gave me a hat and a t-shirt and all of a sudden I said you're no good, but I'm still walking around town wearing the t-shirt and the hat. Well, well, yeah, there's something definitely wrong with that. Go to Christogenos.org and, and you'll get redirected to Christogenia.org. I mean, I own those names. I always have for, for as long as I've created my website. And he's still using my name as far as I'm concerned. So he wants to play that game I have AngloSaxonIsrael.org and AngloSaxonIsrael.net, and um, and and I think that that website's getting more traffic than his in in the election. In fact, I'm sure it is. So so I think that's pretty funny. If Joseph November wants to play with fire, I'm the guy to see. Okay, last week our presentation ended with a replay of one of Joseph November's appearances on a Water Files, where he appeared with a clown named Terrell Croft, predicting doom and gloom with the supposed passing of Nibiru and the havoc that it would have on all the Earth, especially the American heartland. Here we will begin by recalling some of November's Judgment Day Perspectives emails. I know that that, that Joe's email address is probably about seven or 800 people. That's what it was when we were working together. And I know that these are widely distributed. Everybody on that list gets them. And many people have these Judgment Day Perspectives emails. Joseph November has denied making any, any solid predictions about December 21st, 2012. And he's trying to revise his position on that now that the date is passed. At the same time, out of the other side of his mouth, he's making further predictions. We're going to revisit a few of those emails at the beginning of our program tonight, 
and see some of the things over the last two years. We we only have a few. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead a, a dead horse. We only have a few, but we're going to see some of the things that Joseph November has said in his email. Some of the things that he's promoted, and, and this will tell us. And, and we have to ask ourselves: Do we want? Christian identity to be about these things? Do we want Christian identity to be about mimicking Hal Lindsey? Do we want Christian identity to be about New Age so-called prophecies? The Mayan end date, the fifth Mayan prophecy, Hope Eye prophecy, and all the other ridiculous ideas the, new, the, the ideas that should belong to California, pot-smoking California hippies, and that should stay there. Do we want those ideas in, in, in Christian identity? Do, do we want to accept them as Christian identity ideas? Well, that, that's what the, the identity Christian should ask himself when confronted with, with Joe November's subterfuge. If I'm and not mistaken, Elijah was pretty explicit he told um, Jezebel that dogs would eat and drink, you know, they would eat, eat her body and drink her blood at um, Jezreel, wasn't it? He said that at the estate of one of the um, Israelites that she had, had put to death so she could seize his estate, if I'm not mistaken, in 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 19. And he, he gave a specific timetable, too, for this to happen. He didn't end it by saying, oh, well, we'll have to wait and see if it happens or not. That's not a prophet. A prophet doesn't make a very specific declaration, you know, go on for 10 minutes and then make a, a two-second disclaimer, oh, we'll have to wait and see. Well, well right. And there are very few prophecies in the Bible that, that, are, um, that, that are specifically timed on the great scale of things. I mean, there's only a handful of, of prophecies, mostly in Daniel, that are specifically timed, and, and in the Revelation, but... And, and they're usually timed in, in prophetic terms, right? Like the number of days, and, and we understand a prophetic day to be a year. There's one or two in Ezekiel. But there aren't a lot compared to all the prophecies of the Bible. Uh, I mean, there's one in Isaiah that I could think of, the 65 years of, of Ephraim, that in 65 years that Ephraim would no longer be a nation. And we could see the fulfillment of that in, in history, in the history of the deportations of the children of Israel. And that's the point. When prophecies are timed in the Bible, Isaiah is 65 years, Daniel's three and a half times, um, concerning the, the, the beast rule, that rule of, of empires over the children of Israel. Um, Daniel's 490 years prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy of Christ. Those few prophecies that are timed in the Bible, their fulfillments are very, very clear. There's no doubt about their fulfillment. There's no doubt about the, the, um, the, the timing of the 70 weeks prophecy of Christ, at least not from my opinion, and, and I do have it at Christagenia.org. It's in my Mark, my series of Mark podcasts, and, and it was a, um, an addendum I, I had pasted onto um, my presentation of Mark chapter 13, and I did it there for for whatever reason I don't remember now, but that's where it is. So so it, it's um, yeah, you know there was no doubt in the prophet's mind. Well, when he received the word of Yahweh that he should write this certain number down, and and these things were fulfilled and clearly fulfilled. They didn't 
set dates for things that might happen at certain times. That's ridiculous. That's not Christian. It's not Christian at all. That's deception. That's absolute deception. Okay, here's an example, and we're going to give many examples tonight. Eli, well, well, I should say Joseph November, posing as Eli James, his Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter for May 18th, 2009. Brian, I only know one other person that preserved all these. There's only two people I know personally that preserved all of Eli's emails. The other one is a good friend of mine from New York. He knows who I'm talking about. And um, he had shared a few of these emails a couple of years ago, but I've lost them since in an, in an email program that gave me a hard time, and I have it on, a, on an archive disk, but I don't have the time to mess with it. Right, well, I've saved every email from everybody who's ever sent me an email, basically. Well, well, that's good. That's how I started out until I changed from Windows to Linux and, and went through an affair with a Novell product that turned out to be terrible, and I had nothing but problems with it and lost a lot of my emails. I have an archive file, but new versions of the Novell program won't import the data from old versions. So that, That's why when I heard Eli saying that he's never made these claims, he never guaranteed, he never prophesied, I just remembered, well, Heck, I remember reading an email in spring of 2010 where Eli explicitly said this, and I just go back and check the email, and there it is. Well, well right. That's good. Well, well, Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter, May 18th, 2009. It, it's wonderful you did that. Eli has a list of items, and item number six says, oh, great. <clears throat> this is how confident Eli is about his own prophecies, right? Oh, great. Just when I was feeling comfortable that we have at least three and a half years left to prepare. Along comes another guy and says, November 28, 2011, could be just as important. You will have to ignore a lot of New Age gobbledygook, like Eli James doesn't promote a lot of New Age gobbledygook. But he may be on to something. And he gives a, um, a website link to something called heartcom.org. And the page name is MayanEndDay.htm. And, and when you get there, it's Carl Johan Kalman, Ph.D., supposedly. And, and he's from Sweden, and he's given a, a list of reasons as to why the Mayan calendar and the Mayan end date are really November 28th, right. 2011. If you check the registry for that site, it's actually registered to a man named Christopher Ruddy, in Montana, so he's posing as a Swedish doctor. He's posing as a Swedish doctor, and Eli's promoting his website and his ideas and his email. And these are the kind of things, these are the kind of things that Joseph November has, has basically promoted in his email for several years, and maybe for more than several years. I can only observe several years. From, you know, I didn't really... Um, see his emails until after 2009, so I can only observe several years. But he's promoted these things all along in his emails. And, and they're absurd, and, and they're new age, and they have nothing to do with Christianity. And, and why get people agitated about this Mayan calendar end date? I mean, that's fine. If you want to be a new ager, go be a new ager. You're not a Christian identity pastor. If I'm not mistaken, aren't we told, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Absolutely. Christians should not be troubled 
by these things in the least. We shouldn't be agitated. We shouldn't be concerned about what man might do to us. We shouldn't be agitated or concerned about what might happen tomorrow. We should praise Yahweh our God today and seek to serve him today. Christians should live one day at a time, knowing that each one of those days, and this was taught from the beginning. This was taught by Peter. This was taught by James. This was taught by Paul. The apostles said that we are in the last days. They said this 2,000 years ago. Paul of Tarsus taught that the return of Christ was imminent. He taught that it was imminent because Christ himself informed us that we should act and live as if his return was imminent. Paul was only teaching the same thing that Jesus had instructed, that Yahshua had instructed, to live each day as if his return were imminent. And that way, when your master returns, you'll be caught doing the right thing instead of being drunken and, and abusing his servant. We had the, um, the parable of the wicked servant that abused all the other servants, didn't think the master was going to catch him. Well, well, you know, if we live each day as if Christ's going to be here tomorrow, we're going to be caught doing the right thing. That's the proper Christian philosophy. And, and, and when it happens, don't matter. It don't matter because when it happens for Christians, it's good. Christ says in, in Matthew chapter 24, hold your head high because your redemption draws near. Right, and I specifically remember, in fact, I may have sent you one of the emails where there was a large earthquake in Central America, and Joe November was using it to suggest that earthquakes are occurring with greater frequency, and he quoted some Mexican who said that it made him feel the end of the world is coming, this horrible earthquake that leveled the village. And we're right. specifically told that there will be earthquakes in diverse places and that all these things are just going to come and pass. Yet it seems Joe November wants to jump on every skirmish, every border conflict, every earthquake, every tornado, as though it's, you know, foretelling the end. Just to have something to say so that he could give his, his listeners and the people that read his website the appearance that he's on top of things. Anybody could sit here and watch the news. Anybody could sit here and watch the news and, and, and pontificate about it in, in relation to the end times. Oh and God, you, there, was, there was an earthquake in Pakistan. We better buy a survival shelter in the Ozarks. Right. You could make a career out of doing that. Uh, out of playing off the news. That, that's what Hal Lindsey does. That, that, that's what that these mainstream clowns do. They make careers out of playing off the news. They never have to come up with any real scholarship because the news gives them enough fodder to run their mouths every day and get people agitated and, and concerned and scared and buying survival seeds. Watching a documentary on the end times, it was a mainstream documentary, and they were interviewing a guy who's middle-aged now, but he said he was a child in 1968 during the Six-Day War, and his parents came running in. Or was it 67 during the Six-Day War? 67 or 68, but they came running in when they heard that the um, Israelis had captured Jerusalem, and they told them to get ready, you know, that the rapture's coming, the world is coming to an end, stop everything you're doing, and they, they wanted to go run into a, a cabin in the mountains or something. It makes us look ridiculous as Christians when other people claiming to be Christians behave in that fashion. Right, it does make us look ridiculous. All of this... All of this agitation, all of this date setting, all of this watch for the next um, 
false flag, um, predicting the next false flag, which we'll see that um, Joseph November has done in his emails. He's done it several times, and we'll see a couple of examples of that tonight. And, and all of this just keeps people agitated, and, and it does discredit us. It discredits Christian identity over and over and over again. And it reduces Christian identity to, to the circus sideshow that a Jordan Maxwell or a David Icke or a Marshall Masters, that, that, that's, that, that's their venue. They have nothing else. They have nothing else, and, and they have their reward in the plaudits they get for wrongly predicting the future pra practically on a daily basis. But it can happen tomorrow if it don't happen today, so you better watch out. Well, well, why? Christians should go about their business. Christians should go about kingdom building. Christians should go about edifying their brethren. Christians shouldn't give a damn about what might happen tomorrow. And, you know, part, part of, you know, um, one of the reasons here, I'm just thinking about Hal Lindsey. He's such a clown. I like that word. I'm going to use that word against him. Hal Lindsey. Part of the problem with guys like him, he can't even predict the past. Right. And he wants to tell us what the future is going to be. Right. And um, Joseph November gets caught up in the same patterns, the same schemes. It's a huckster's gimmick is what it is. It's a huckster's gimmick. Christ tells us to watch, 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 watch. Christ tells us to watch. We should be watching by watching ourselves, by making sure that we're doing the things that he wants his servants to do. That's what we should be watching. The ten virgins... Five of them had their oil. The five that didn't, they weren't watching. They didn't have their oil. Where were they caught? They were caught off in, in, in the marketplaces of Babylon when the master returned. Well, well, you know something? I could liken those five virgins to, to five people buying Republic Radio gold in survival seeds, and they're not doing the things of the kingdom. They're not doing the, 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 um, the, the will of God that he instructs us to do. That they're only looking out for their own asses. That's basically what they're doing. And they're worried about tomorrow. It gets worse than that, and we're going to discuss some of the worser aspects of that as we proceed through these emails. An email of February 7th, 2010. Now, now it's nice that Eli, that, that Eli or, or that Joe November points to his Y2012 paper, and after he builds up paragraph after paragraph explaining why the world's going to end on December 21st, 2012, he has one little line at the bottom of the paper that says, whether it's going to be December 21st or not, we will have to wait and see. And, and, and he uses that one little line at the bottom. Why would you build up 20 paragraphs of a paper about a particular date and at the bottom say, oh, we will have to wait and see? I'll tell you why. To give yourself an out when it don't happen, that's why. To give yourself an out when nothing happens. You're going to dwell on one line in your paper and use that as your disclaimer when a thousand lines in your paper were saying, oh, it's going to happen December 21st, 2012. That's a man who is unstable in all his ways. That's a double-minded man. His methods, his papers... What he does is double-minded, and that is a perfect example of his double-mindedness. You don't write a paper predicting a date, paragraph after paragraph, building your case, building your argument, and at the bottom, 
you write, oh, we'll have to wait and see, so that you could disclaim it later. That's why he put that there. That was his, that, that was his golden parachute line in that paper. But his emails, on the other hand, his emails talked about 2012 over and over again without disclaimer. He, 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 he distributed this email on February 7, 2010 that, that had the headline, it had the subject, Nibiru in 2012. Now, anybody that reads anything about Nibiru and the Zechariah Sitchin cult, Zechariah Sitchin, the Jew, he's the one, he didn't coin the term Nibiru. He did not coin the term Nibiru, but he invented Nibiru out of a term that had a different meaning. Because Nibiru in the Sumerian manuscripts, it basically means a nexus, a crossing point. And it's used in their astronomical models, in their astronomical model to describe the crossing point of two orbits. That's all it does without any doomsday scenarios attached to it. Because the Sumerians did not use that word Nibiru as the noun, the planet that Zechariah Sitchin claims. They didn't use the term in that manner. It only meant a crossing point in the sky, a nexus, a, 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 um, a, a point where two orbits of, of two different heavenly bodies cross. That's all it means. They never used that term in connection with, with worldwide cataclysmic events or with a particular planet that circled the, 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 the sun every 3,600 years. Zechariah Sitchin made that up. He made that up. Well, are you suggesting that a Jew would just make something up to deceive him? Yes, I'm suggesting that a Jew would just make something up because he sold, he wrote 13 books about it and sold millions of copies of each one of them. So every time the word Nibiru comes out of Eli James's mouth, he's repeating the myths of his fellow Jew, Zechariah Sitchin. And he's promoting that. And he's promoting that as Christian identity. It's not even Christianity. It's not Christian identity. It's the myths of a Jew. It's something a damn Jew made up in order to sell a lot of books. It's Zechariah not even science. Zechariah Sitchin, a Russian emigre, a Jew that was allowed out of Russia, got to New York, and all of a sudden he became an expert in ancient Sumerian, an astrophysicist, and who the hell knows what else. He immediately got himself an office suite in Rockefeller Plaza and started promoting, basically started creating a false religion, and Eli James, or Joe November, has attempted to drag all of Christian identity into it. Nibiru in 2012, and he put in that email, February 7, 2010, he writes, now watch this video of what to expect when Nibiru crosses the ecliptic in 2012. That's what Eli James wrote in his email, February 7, 2010. And then, after a link to the video on YouTube, which is still valid, and this will be posted on the Christagenia Forum tomorrow morning in Answering the Shills Part 3 under the section Christian Identity Directions, these links will be posted just like all the links and all the statements for the last two weeks that we presented this were posted. 
Eli, after the YouTube video about Nibiru crossing the ecliptic in 2012 says, now please read my essay, Why 2012? And he links to it. And he's not promoting 2012. He's not promoting the end of the world in 2012. This YouTube, this YouTube video surely insinuates it. And he's connecting the two. Eli, in that same email, he talks about devastation. And this email will be posted tomorrow on the Christagenia Forum. He talks about devastation. He talks about worst-case distinction events. And he says, and I quote, this is a direct quote from his email, as the end times heat up and become more intense, we will have to make provisions for the sixth and seventh vials. He's, ta he, he's misinterpreting the sixth and seventh vials of Revelation, Revelation um, chapters 15, 16, which I believe, Eli James's words, which I believe can be best survived by preparing underground or hillside bunkers which shield us from the judgment to come. Yahweh will protect those who obey his commandments and call upon his name. He cites Revelation 22, 4 and 14. But only you're in an underground bunker. Yes, he's saying he, he is promoting the idea of going into underground bunkers, and we will see momentarily that that is absolutely unchristian, as you yourself quoted on the phone to me this afternoon, right? So I'll right. let you read Revelation 6, but let me read this other paragraph. Finally, we are instructed, this is Eli James, finally we are instructed to come out of Babylon. This means mentally, physically, spiritually, intellectually, and economically. Become totally self-sufficient, far away from the cities. He's living in Chicago to this day, right? Which will become hellholes of depravity and destruction. He's not practicing what he preached. He's still living in Chicago to this day. This is the cleansing, folks. The day of Yahweh's wrath. Yahweh has promised that this day is coming. Be ready. And he's telling people. He's, he, this is associated with this YouTube video, which he says... Watch this video of what to expect when Nibiru crosses the ecliptic in 2012. He put these words with that statement and that video. And then he directed people to read why 2012. There are no disclaimers here. There's nothing here about that this might happen. This says, watch this video of what to expect when Nibiru crosses the ecliptic in 2012. This whole thing is a damn Jew fantasy, and Joseph November is a Jew huckster. Also, it doesn't make sense. He says, Yahweh will protect those who obey his commandments and call upon his name. If that is correct, and that is to be believed, and he believes it, then why does he say we have to go into underground bunkers? Well, well, right, and I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 2, and Revelation chapter 6 says basically the same thing, and we're going to read that too. We're going to see who it is who goes into underground bunkers. Isaiah chapter 2, and they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of Yahweh and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth terribly. What does Christ say in Matthew 24? When you see these things happen, hold your head high for your redemption draws near. That's what he says. He's talking to Christians. Verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 2, In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. So we see that it's the idolaters 
that should be concerned and that should go hide themselves in the holes of the rocks. And verse 21 says, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of Yahweh and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth terribly. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? It's the idolaters that fear Yahweh. It's the idolaters that climb into the clefts of the rocks. Would you like to read Revelation 6 from verse 12? I also think I'm, when you said hold your head high for your redemption draws near, that's um, Luke 21, isn't it? That's not in Matthew 24. Well, well, it's in, it's in one of those end-time scenarios in, in right. the gospel, yes. Revelation 6. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, well, there you have it. I mean, Isaiah tells us it's the idolaters. Revelation chapter 6 is basically drawing a picture of the destruction that came upon Rome. Christians weren't told. Christians weren't told to go hide in the rocks. Christians were sealed in Revelation chapter 7. I mean... I'm not going to go hide in the rocks, and I'm not going to. I don't advise people to be in the middle of Chicago. I don't advise people to be in New York. Yeah, it, it would. It's probably just common sense to get out of those places. Well, aside from common sense, who would want to make a life in Manhattan or New York? You know, who would want to do that to begin with? Well, well, absolutely. Now, Christ says in Luke chapter 21, and when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies. Now, now that's exactly what's supposed to happen in the, long, in, in the last days, is that Gog and Magog gathers his armies against the encampment of the saints. Revelation chapter 20, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. There's several other scriptures, other scriptures that are saying the same thing in different ways. I put a lot of them together in my Joel chapter 2 presentation printed in the, chapter, in, in the Saxon Messenger this month. And when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee under the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them not that are in the countries enter thereinto, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath of upon this people, 
and they shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall fall. He ain't saying you shall fall. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the nations until the time of the nations be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Yet, you know, the people that are caught up in the world, the idolaters, they're the people that are going to, be, to suffer. They're the people that Christ is talking about. When, when in the passages in, in the end-time prophecy that predict gloom and doom and gloom for certain people, that's why Christ says, get out of Babylon lest ye suffer her punishments, but Christians shouldn't go hide in the holes in the rocks. We shouldn't be encouraging other Christians to go buy caves in the Ozarks, as Joseph November did uh, on that program, which he did with Terrell Croft, which I played here last week. That's not Christian. To hide from the vengeance of Yahweh is not Christian. Christians should be gleeful at the vengeance of Yahweh. Real Christians should be gleeful. Yes, we avoid the beast. We shouldn't be in Chicago. Now, if he actually believed what he wrote in that email several years ago, why the hell is he still living in Chicago? Why the hell did he live in Chicago throughout the entire year of 2012? Well, when you talk about how we should be gleeful to see the judgment, I'm reminded of the 58th Psalm. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judges the earth. Absolutely. But according to the prophet guru, November, we should flee to a bunker in the Ozarks. Well, well, right. I mean, Micah tells the children of Israel at the time of the end, Arise, O Zion, and thresh. And, and of course, if you think that the white people can be 15% Canaanite, you won't know who the hell thresh. Okay, it, it's the hypocrisy of, of, of Joseph November from his own emails. And the claim now that he wasn't predicting anything definite for 2012 is also clearly in contradiction to his own emails. Self-serving revisionism. Well, well, yes, it's self-serving revisionism. There's no doubt. And that's a a good way to term it up in four words, right? Uh, I'm sorry, three words. I can't count. I never said I could. Judgment Day Perspectives. October 17th, 2010. We're still working together at this point. My guess, the words of Joseph November, my guess is that the next false flag will be timed near a Jewish holiday in the spring. In the spring. That means the spring of perhaps 2011, right? As a signal to the world's Jews, that they are still in control. So Joseph, well, he should be able to read the mind of the Jews. He is one. Along with a series of links to articles predicting financial apocalypse, after he made this statement, he posted a link to an article from the Jewish 
she'll run, and, and Gordon Duff is part Jewish, he's admitted it, Veterans Today website. And the article was entitled, Gordon Duff, is America's military prepared for the Israeli threat? And, and that's exactly what I, what I was trying to... Um, that's exactly what I was trying to address. That type of agitation, right, is exactly what I was trying to address in 2010. I mentioned it here last week when I did a Christagenia open forum and I gave a, a short sermon at the beginning, maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes, I forget. And the topic was newspaper eschatology. You read the newspaper and, and and you you match it up to to um that you read the Jewish newspaper right and, and then you match it up to biblical prophecies you think fit the moment you run with it and, and here he's prophesying and and not even using the Bible this is newspaper eschatology he reads Gordon Duff's article is America's military prepared for the Israeli threat because Duff is part Jewish but he claims to be an anti-Zionist right. Well, you read that article, and then you make the statement in your email when you distribute a link to that article. My guess is that the next false flag will be timed near a Jewish holiday in the spring as a signal to the world's Jews that they are still in control. He made that statement. October 17, 2010, Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter. Don't, any, don't people care about that? Don't people read that and, and, and remember it, and, and the spring comes and goes? And nothing happens, and he's never held into account for that, right? He's never held into account for that because he's making this prediction and sounding like an expert October 17th. And, and six months later, people forget, right? But he right. said. Well, Jews have a chameleon like ability to avoid responsibility when their predictions never come to pass. So he makes a prophecy, it doesn't come to fruition. But it's been six or seven months. People forget. Those that remember say, well, he didn't definitively say it was a prophecy. He said it may or may not happen. We have to wait and see. Well, well absolutely. I can't disagree with one word. I mean, it's, it's incredible. People are this, this is subterfuge, right? This is the undermining of any respectability that we try to, um, to garner and any academic respectability and any scholarly respectability that we attempt to garner, our message is hard enough to bear and to present to people. It's hard enough. The truth is so contrary to the beliefs of the world. When we testify to our brethren and try to open, you know, well, Yahweh opens their eyes, but we try to present them with the truth, praying that Yahweh will open their eyes. How, how the hell can you do that when this shill, when this damn Jew, that's what I called him in the, first, in, in the first segment of this series, he's a damn Jew, there's proof that his name is a Jewish name, and it's from the mouth of the Jews themselves that his name is a Jewish name. And that proof is on the Christiania Forum. It's on Clifton Emmerheiser's website. There's an article, Flying Under False Colors, which explains it, quotes it, and the links to the original article at SharonNovember.org, I think it is. I don't, SharonNovember.org is not a website, believe it or not. It's not registered to William Fink. 
I do not own that website. That website is owned by a bona fide Jewish who explains that November is a Jewish name. It came into being in mid 18th in the mid 19th century in Poland, and she says all Novembers are related. She says it, not me. It's on her website, not mine. I didn't write it. I don't own her website. I don't even know the woman, and yes, she does exist. So, so I, I mean, Joseph November, I'm totally um, well, you know, I'm to- sure in calling him a Jew. You might want to save her complete website before Joe calls her up and says, Oy vey, Finkelstein is using your website to expose me. Well, well, right, that's a possibility too. But there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, there was doubt for years, and I always tried to give Joe November the benefit of the doubt. But 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 he just um, he, he's trying to set him up. He, he's trying to set himself up and present himself as he says as America's foremost Christian identity scholar. Well, well you know something. Every word of that is a lie. Or, or the world's foremost, however the hell he worded it, it's right in the literature, the advertising literature for his program on Republican radio. I got a screenshot of it somewhere. But that's basically how he worded it. He's the most, um, he, he's the leading Christian identity scholar. No, he's not. He's not even Christian identity. He's the leading Jewish universalist liar attempting to undermine Christian identity. That's what he is. I mean, I, I got two years worth of podcast that proved that I could run rings around his ass. He really don't know anything about scripture. All he does is make up lies. He shoots his mouth off and says anything that's fit for the moment. That's what he does. I got two years of podcast to prove it. He's certainly not a scholar, let alone America's foremost scholar. Well, well, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is what he's doing. He's setting himself up as a Christian identity scholar and he's discrediting Christian identity left and right with all these harebrained ideas that he has, these harebrained predictions. And, and, and it, it's, uh, I mean, I think he is a shill. There's, I, I can't see how it gets any better. He's so, created a theology. It, it says here, Pastor Eli James, this is on RBN, quote, Pastor Eli James is the world's foremost, world's foremost Christian identity theologian, equally hated by the Talmudists and the Judeo-Christians, Pastor James tells the truth about the Holy Scriptures like no one else in the world, exposing the distortions of the rabbinical Judaism and Judeo-Christianity, although he didn't put an apostrophe in worlds. So he's an authority, but he doesn't know how to write out a sentence. Well, well, we've established from his own own podcast, and and right, that's nothing more than Jewish self-promotion. That entire blurb is Jewish self-promotion. There's no doubt. But we've established that in his own Republic Broadcasting Network podcast, he's told Jose the Mexican that Jose could be a Christian, and he's told Jose the Mexican that it's obvious from Scripture that God wants all races to work together. Uh, I mean, he did say that. We do have his voice saying that on tape, right? Right. From, from a Republic Broadcasting program. So, so I mean, this, this man is simply a Jew, playing Christian identity in, an, in, in a serious attempt to undermine it. Uh, I really think he planned, he, 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 I mean, I don't want to think too highly of myself, but I really believe that he engineered working with me when I got out of prison so he could try to pull me off into his universalism and, and all of his lies, and I wouldn't go along, 
and then he turns on me and finds reasons to call me a race traitor and the master of Talmudic deception, as he calls me in this article that we're addressing presently. And that's just ridiculous. And anybody that's really read my website or listened to my work would know that's ridiculous. Eli James. Bill, Judge, the world's foremost Christian identity theologian. Right. <laughs> Judgment Day Perspectives Newsletter, April 7th, 2011. This is the first newsletter that we're, we're um, citing here, I believe, after our split, right? And um, I, I showed, I demonstrated last week that I did address these issues in Eli's newsletter before I split with him. And I addressed those issues in several programs concerning Zechariah Sitchin, concerning Jordan Maxwell, concerning newspaper eschatology. I did that before we split, and, and, and that would support my testimony that I did try to correct Eli James on some of this garbage on the telephone, in personal conversations. And I did try to get him out of this mindset, and he wouldn't have it. He didn't want to hear it. I but told you know, him Zechariah Sitchin was a Jew. I told him that the whole Nibiru idea came from the Jew, Zechariah Sitchin. I told him that Zechariah Sitchin was abusing Sumerian manuscripts. He wasn't quoting them. I told him that it was all Jewish subterfuge and garbage, but Joe November didn't want to hear it. That's why I did those open forum programs when I did them. And, you know, I had a conversation with him on the phone, and, I'm not in the habit of recording phone calls, so it, you'd have to take my word on it. I asked him back in 2010, aren't you a bit concerned December 21st, 2012 is going to come and go and people are going to see you as a false prophet and condemn you and they won't want anything to do with you? What are you going to do You know, if and when that day comes and goes? He said, oh, I'll recalculate. Well, well, right, and that's absolute, that, that's absolute garbage. I addressed this, this mentality in a blog post I made and sent this out as a Christogenia mailing, and Joe November got a copy of it, and it was called Disdaining, Disdaining the Culture of Fear. And I talked about date setters and people setting dates for the end time and, and how, how far that back that went, and, and I discussed it at great length, and, and I talked about um, the various scriptures that refute that idea. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, no man knows the day, and don't be watching for it, because if you're, you're, you're busy watching for, for Christ to return, you're not doing the things that you should be doing as a Christian. You're not fulfilling your obligations as a Christian, but which is to love and care for your brethren. What you're doing is you're keeping them agitated. You're keeping them in a state of fear. You're, 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 well, well, the idea that they should be saving all their pennies to buy um, supplies and go hide in the Ozarks is absolutely unchristian. You know, I mean, get out of the cities, yeah. To be self-sufficient, to be self-sufficient and as detached from the Jewish world order as you could get and, and to live in, on 50 acres in, 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 um, in the mountains somewhere and to be off the grid and off the radar, that's a noble cause. That's a wonderful thing. If you could do that and feed your family and your wife and your children, that is a beautiful thing, and I wish that we could all do it. But do it for the right reasons. I was on a show with him, and it's on a recording. I'd have to find the show. 
And I pointed out, I said, aren't we explicitly told that no man can know the hour nor the day? And his retort was, well, God never said anything about the month or the year. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. That's what a Pharisee would say. Well, well, let's see. I got three paragraphs here. I'll try to read them quickly from Eli's prophetic Maseroth paper, which is still on his website. And in this paper, he makes three references to December 21st, 2012. And he makes no, no disclaimers. And the title of his Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter for April 7th, 2011 is... The end is here. And this newsletter was accompanied with a cartoon of a hippie caveman type character with a sign saying the end is near, and the word near is scratched out, and here is written under it, right? So, so Eli is saying, he's announcing that the end is here. And he cites his prophetic Maseroth paper, which has three references in it to December 21st, 2012. And he says, and this is his quotes, this is not me, this is direct quotes from Eli James from, from Joe November's prophetic Maseroth paper, the prophetic Maseroth of Adam. And he says, interestingly, the bow of this archer is aimed directly at the galactic center. In Mayan mythology, as interpreted by the current field of glyph translators like New Age Jews, right? The end of this age is to come from a major blast of energy from the galactic center. The Mayan, and he underlines this line, the Mayan end date occurs on December 21st, 2012, a date on which our sun will eclipse the galactic center at the intersection of the galactic plane and ecliptic, but, well, in the last newsletter, it was Nibiru that was going to cross the galactic, the, the ecliptic, right, and, and cause all the devastation. Now it's when the sun does that, right, which is the rotational plane of our solar system. Without a picture, but, well, the sun can't eclipse the rotational plane of the solar system, right, because it is the center of the rotational plane of the solar That's just ridiculous. So he doesn't even know what he's talking about with, with astronomy, right? Well, Bill, he's the world's foremost authority on theology, not astronomy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, not, I'm a 10th grade dropout. I'm not an authority at anything, but I could read, which is the rotational plane of our solar system. Without a picture to demonstrate this astronomical event, I will therefore try to explain. In other words, the sun will be right in the crosshairs of these two intersecting planes, the plane of our galaxy and the plane of our solar system. Well, the sun is the plane of the solar system, right? It's not the plane of the galaxy. It's the plane. It is the rotational plane of the solar system, right? I mean, that's that, so that, this whole thing is ridiculous, right? Instead of, instead of a picture to demonstrate this, he should try a science fiction movie to demonstrate this. Well, he's a psychologist. He should try an ink blot, right? <laughs> Thus, direct in, directly in front of the galactic center, this, uh, this event will form an imaginary cross in the sky. Our galaxy is visible to us as the Milky Way, so it is easy to visualize the galactic plane by observing the Milky Way in the night sky. With this astronomical information, Sagittarius could then be seen as pointing not just at the galactic center, but also to the Mayan end date. This is all New Age bullshit right? It's all new age bullshit. What the hell 
is a supposed man of God, what the hell is a Christian identity pastor doing quoting and taking his scripture, Mayan mythology, and the Mayan end date? What, what's up with that? I, I mean, do we put this, the Mayans, that, that, this, that this obscure civilization from how many, well, well from at least a thousand years ago, do we put them on the same level as the words of the prophets which Christ quoted, such as David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, do we do that? Uh, I mean, do Christians really do that? Come on. I know Eli has always been very big into astrology, and he basically said that astrology can tell you things about the future. He said that on a number of occasions. Yeah, right. Astrology, well, well it, it probably should tell me what time the sun's going to rise tomorrow, but it really don't matter because I'm going to sleep through it anyway. Right, but that doesn't mean you're going to go to a palm reader. <laughs> right. I'm going to continue with this quote. The plane of our solar system's ecliptic is about 25 degrees off of the galactic plane. You know, he's trying to really sound like an expert, like he's got this all figured out. He probably copied it from some quack. This means simply that our solar system is tilted against the galactic plane, and this is what forms the imaginary cross, or X, in the sky. The sun will be dead center in this X on December 21st, 2012. That's his second reference to this date, right? And several references to the same date with the, um, the synonym Mayan end date, right? It's really a synonym for 1221-2012. According to astronomers, this is an extremely rare event happening only once every 33 million years for an explanatory blog click. And he has, I'll put it in, I'll put the link in whether it's good or not. I didn't go to this link. It's from answers.google.com and it's a particular thread. And the last paragraph that I'm going to cite from this paper, if we can correlate Eridanus with the Milky Way, then we have another potential reference to December 21st, 2012. The Mayan end date, when the sun will rise, eclipsing the galactic center at the intersection of the Milky Way and the solar system's ecliptic, thus forming a great cross in the sky. This fantastic symbolism would be utterly unbelievable if it were not for the, the consistency of this imagery from beginning to end. Well, guess what? There must be an inconsistency somewhere because December 21st, 2012 came, and nothing happened. Right. Well, if you go to that link, there are some astronomers who actually answer and point out that this is basically nonsense and that it's Mayan calendar literature frenzy that's proliferating pseudoscientific circles these days and that it's easily debunked. Well, well good, because I'll have to go read that tomorrow when I post this. Okay. In the same email, Eli asks the question, item... Was Nostradamus familiar with the prophetic Maseroth? Well, and he applies a link to a YouTube video, right? And my, my question would be, I don't give a damn about Nostradamus. He was a damn Jew, too. Well, my, my question was going to be, was Nostradamus familiar with um, Joe November's great-great-great-grandfather? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That, they were probably brothers in the same, same yeshiva. Eli then has this warning. And this warning, this is in his emails. I mean, this comes right out of his emails. I can't, I can't make this stuff up. I can't do it. I don't have the capacity. My, my mind doesn't think this way. I'm sorry. I can't make this stuff up. Anybody that gets Eli James's emails will be able to verify this. And 
These will be published on Christagenia on the forum sometime, Yahweh willing, sometime tomorrow. Eli has this following warning. Date, Sunday, 3rd April, 2011, from the Las Vegas, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, I guess he's a vegetarian in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas subject, One World Government, 2012, two, distribution, 2012, One World Government, 2012, people, listen up, this is a priority one situation, warning, 2012 underscore 12 underscore 21, is coming soon. Who is behind the planning of the One World Government? Answer. The Zionist, Freemason, Illuminati, Jews, New World Order, Occult. Yes, the Zionist Jews. Where is their headquarters? The United Nations is owned by Zionist, Freemason, Illuminati, Jews, New World Order, Occult. The United Nations is the headquarters of becoming one world government. What have these Venus Jews planned for us Gentiles? Now, now, after that last question, there's a whole list in Eli's email listing. Uh, it's a long list of atrocities and warnings of torture and other horrific things that, that are going to happen to us in general, right? Towards the end of his newsletter, after this warning and this crazy headline and this priority one situation. Priority one. Yeah, right. Eli says this. Eli, these are Eli's words now. This is a national security emergency. <laughs> national security. Yeah, yeah right. I, I'm we, sorry. I'm, I'm just wondering what's he going to say. Captain, Starfleet Command is on the channel. Priority one alert. All right. Beam me up. We have an imminent threat. Isn't that what the Judeo-Christians want to do? They want to get beamed up? This is a national security emergency. We have an imminent threat. It's time to do some very serious planning. Now, these aren't the words of the email. These are Eli James's words, the way he has them delineated at the end of the email. He says, it's time to do some very serious planning and spread the word before they close down the Internet in 2012. He said that. It didn't happen. He's a false prophet. If you're saying things like that, you're a Christian pastor, well, well, you're projecting the image of Christ onto everything you say. That's why Paul gives so many warnings. That's why James gives so many warnings about Christian teachers and Christian pastors and things that they should say and how they should act and how they should live their lives. That's why, so that we don't end up with clowns like this, and we're not accepting these turkeys as Bible teachers. I noticed, too, he says to bury all your stuff, and that just reminds me of the servant who buried his one coin. Right, well, well he, goes, he goes on and says that, that they're going to close down the Internet in 2012. Well, that didn't happen, but then again, nothing else happened in 2012. Nothing that didn't happen in 2011, and it hasn't happened so far in 2013. My motto, this is Eli James or Joe November, my motto, he says, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Go bury your survival stash very soon. You are going to need it when the new world order takes over, 2012-1221. That's exactly the way he wrote it. See you, here's the best one. These are his words again, the last sentence of this email. See you in the cave near the top of the mountain. Books of ammunition and non-perishable food. That's his words. 
This just takes he's me back. He's still in Chicago. He's not in any damn cave at the top of the mountain. He's still in Chicago. What a damn hypocrite. He you should know, be in the Ozarks. He should have been in the Ozarks the last 18 months. Bill, this just takes me back to the days I listened to Alex Jones. And other than the fact that Eli's using the word Jew more than Alex Jones uses it, this just sounds like Alex Jones. It is Alex Jones. It, it's Alex Jones. It, it's, um, what, what's that other clown? Terrell Croft, Marshall Masters, hey, George Eddie. Maxwell, Zechariah Sitchin, uh, um, David Icky, yeah, Ike Icky, whatever the hell his damn name is. He's a clown, too. Just roll all those clowns up into a big ball of wax, and what do you have? Joe November. That's what you have. That, that's, his, that, that's how he teaches the Bible. And these are emails that he sent out. It's a pattern. I've noticed this pattern. I started, you know, the first year that, that I was out, the, the first 18 months, I, I didn't really have a lot of time. I was setting up websites. I was trying to get books ready. And, and I was really trying to make up for being so long away from the Internet that I wanted to establish my Internet presence. I wanted to establish Clifton Emmeheiser's Internet presence and get our teachings out in, in a professional manner, and a manner better than that found at Israel Elect. Well, well you, you know, I'm not bragging, but in two years, uh, I, built the, the, um, I built the most visited Christian identity website ever. And, and the numbers prove that. Just go read Alexa.com. Well, well, I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. And I had to work my ass off to do that. I didn't have time for anybody's emails. I barely had time to keep up with the program schedule. Four or five programs. Back then, I was doing four or five programs a week. I was doing the Open Forum. I was doing the Euro Forum. I was doing the Sunday night program with you. And I was doing two programs a week with, with, with Joe November. Well, well that, that, I had my hands full. I didn't have time for emails. I don't have time for emails now. Well, well, when I did start to pay attention to his emails, when I did start to slow down because all of our documents were posted and, and because my New Testament was published and, and have time to look at other people's work, I started to get concerned real quick, and, and I, I, I created Disdaining the Culture of Fear, the blog post. I posted that February 11, 2010. I posted that. I, I did the newspaper eschatology podcast. I did a couple of podcasts on Zechariah Sitchin, Jordan Maxwell. As soon as I had time to address that stuff and, and realize what this guy was sending out in his emails. And it's absolutely unchristian. And if I'd have seen all this stuff, if I'd have seen all this stuff before I got out of prison, I'd have never worked with this turkey. I'd have never worked with him. If I'd have seen the universalist statements in his book, The Great Impersonation, I'd have never worked with this clown. It would have, that, that page 111 of, of The Great Impersonation, that page, and we're going to read it. I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight. I'm sorry. I, I had planned to, but I don't think we're going to get to it tonight. We're going to read that in this series and if I hear that from the lips of a so-called Christian identity pastor, well, that's a deal breaker right there. I don't want anything to do with that man. When he says that talking about the law, which was only given to Israel in the Psalms, it was only ever given to Israel. God never gave his law to the other nations. That's explicit in the Psalms. Talking about the law, talking about mercy, talking about Christian love and, and a whole list of other things, 
Jesus came to give them to all nations? That's what he wrote on page 111 of the Great Impersonation? No. If you say those things with me, that's a deal breaker. You're a universalist. I don't want nothing to do with you. If I'd have seen that before I got out of prison, I wouldn't have given Eli James two minutes of my time. He's double-minded. He's double-mouthed. He speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He does it all the time. He says the words amenable to his audience at the time. That's why he told Jose on Republic Radio he could be a Christian. And that God expected all, God wanted, God wants all the races to work together to work together, and he said we should get that from Scripture. And that's a damnable lie. Israel is to be separate. Now he writes shills, and in shills he writes, likewise, his claim that I am a universalist is laughable as I have never deviated from the doctrine of absolute segregation. Oh, yes, he did when he told Jose the Mexican that he could be a Christian and that we and that all races were supposed to work together and get that from Scripture. Well, how about just redefine what it means to be white, so now Jose is white. Well, well, right. I mean, you could be 15% Canaanite and be white, according to Joe November. You know, and, I, never, I never read his book either. He never offered to sell me a copy or give me a copy. And at the time I started working with him, I was a full-time student, and I was working on top of that. So when would I have time to read his book? But if I had read his book, that would have been the end of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that I would have ever dealt with this man if I'd have read page 111 of the Great Impersonation, which I never had access to. If I'd have read that page from his book, it was over right there. I am, I am never working with him. I don't care how many um, good Christian identity friends recommend him to me. It's not going to happen. Okay, I, I want to get through these letters at least before we end this program tonight. So we have half an hour yet. Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter, May 8th, 2011. This paper, that this newsletter that Eli James sent out on May 8th, 2011, is very important because it shows the double-mindedness of Eli James probably better than, better than anything I've seen from, from him so far regardless of how many contradictory statements he's made. Eli, on May 9th, 2011, and this, this newsletter announced that, right? On May 9th, 2011, Eli James appeared on a blog talk radio show with a, with a pair of Negroes. The show was hosted. It's called Stanley Speaks Out. It's posted on a Christagenia forum. It's also posted on the Zogbots.org website, but it's posted on a Christagenia forum. That's where I post. And, and this, this program that Eli James appeared on with these Negroes, Eli says was to try to teach the Negroes that the Jews are responsible for all their problems, so they should leave Whitey alone, like you're ever going to get that across the Negroes, right? Well, well, that's a pipe dream, right? That's a liberal pipe dream. Basically, the Negro sea Jews is just another flavor of white people. Well, what it, what it ended up being was Eli James arguing Christian identity with Negroes. That's how it ended up. Well, you know, the day before Eli appeared on his program with Negroes, he sent this email out. And this email was about visions, visions. 
And this email has the words from Eli James. He's promoting this site, wolflodge.org, and this red sky vision that this Native American allegedly had. And Eli's promoting this garbage, and he says a quotation from this visions. And the quotation is three paragraphs, okay? But I'm only going to read the third paragraph. The old one continued, and, and the old one is a reference to somebody's grandfather, right? And it says, the old one continued as if the old one's about to talk, and he says, these people should have been left alone. They once understood how to live with the earth, and their wealth was measured in happiness, love, and peace. But all of that was taken from them, when the world saw theirs as a primitive society, it was then that the world showed them how to farm and live in a less primitive way. It was the world that forced them to live outside of the laws of creation and, as a result, is now forcing them to die. And Eli James, in his own words, wrote underneath that, we should never have raised Africa out of its slumber. How wonderful and peaceful. Let's build a campfire and hold hands and sing kumbaya and think about how wonderful Africa must have been before the white man tainted it. And that is exactly the picture that Eli James is drawing in this email. This is typical Franz Boaz, right? It's typical noble savage rhetoric that came out of the treachery of the 19th or, or 18th or 19th century Jewish anthropologists, right? That's exactly where this came from. This entire vision is, is a Boazian portrayal of the noble savage. It comes from a prophecy related to Native Americans, and Eli lifts it out of that context sticks it in his email and applies it to Africans the day before he went on a program to argue Christian identity with niggers. That is Freudian. This is, this is a signal example of his double-mindedness right here. It's a signal example. He sent this out the day before he, he portrayed these, he, he took a portrayal of Native Americans that was a, a portrayal of how noble they were and how great and in harmony with nature and God they had lived in their primitive society. And he applies that to Africans the day before he goes on a blog talk radio program to argue Christian identity with niggers. That's exactly what he did. And that is treachery. And that is manipulation of his flock. He is fleecing the flock by assuaging them into the idea that he could go on a program and reason with these savage beasts. That's exactly what he did. Well, you know what he said. If we could just convince them that the Jews are the real enemy, they'd stop raping white women. You are never going to get a Negro to stop raping white women. It's not going to happen. You can't get a dog to stop lifting his leg on fire hydrants. You're just no matter where you paint them. 
You're an anti-Semitic shill trying to hijack identity and make it a racial theology. Right. Negroes are savage beasts. That's what they are. The only thing that keeps them from raping white women is a Colt 45 or a good Smith & Wesson revolver. That might keep them from raping white women. Or a noose. Or a noose. A noose is very effective. You will not get Negroes to stop raping white women otherwise, just like you won't get dogs to stop urinating on fire hydrants. How do you get Jews to stop lying? The next email was from May, I'm sorry, it was from March 21st, 2012. The subject of the email was May 5th vision. This wasn't, don't let me transmit the wrong impression, this wasn't Eli James's next email. It was the next email in the list of emails that we are presenting. There are many more emails of this than, that he has sent out, which are absolutely treacherous, absolutely contrary to everything that Christian identity should really stand for which would first be Christianity. Uh, I mean, not Mayan end dates, not Hopi prophecies, not the Jew Zechariah Sitchin, or any of that other garbage. This is even worse than them, believe it or not. The May 5th vision, March 21st, 2012, from Eli James. Christian Israel, his words, the Christian seer of the Phoenix Code, foresees a false flag. It appears to be in line with Illuminati numerology. Worth taking a look. And then he says, after giving some links to his own websites, Illuminati plan to detonate nuclear bomb in Phoenix, Arizona on May 5th, 2012. And he gives a link to a website called the End Times Forecaster, blogspot.com. Now, this is the one by the Mestizo, right? The Evangelical Mestizo? He's Evangelical Mestizo. And he's a rapture-believing Jewish Zionist. He's not a Christian. And he promotes the false state of Israel as the true Israel of God. And he has made many false prophecies which were tied to exact dates. And Joseph November, this is another Jose, right? He's a damned Mexican. And Joseph November bills him as the Christian seer of the Phoenix Code. And that was another false prophecy. And it was a precise date. And Joseph November didn't say, this guy claims the Illuminati will detonate a nuclear bomb in Phoenix on Arizona on May 5th, 2012. Joseph November simply says, Illuminati plan to detonate nuclear bomb in Phoenix, Arizona on May 5th, 2012. That's the way he put it, as if he was agreeing that it was going to happen. And he takes this Mestizo or Jutizo or, 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 or Mectajou or whatever the hell he is, and he tells us he's a Christian, well, which is a damnable lie. He's a Christian. He's a Christian seer. Yeah, right. He's a Christian seer. So I guess he's on a level of Isaiah, Joel, and Micah. So he calls him the Christian seer of the Phoenix Code. And the Phoenix Code, when you go to the website, is some more bullshit that never came true. It wasn't like the guy had a, a positive track record. 
But at least he's not a high school dropout, right? So he's a, a Christian seer, and you're just a hater. And Joseph November is, is is promoting this Mexican scumbag as a prophet. That's what he's doing. Maybe he'll start doing exactly Sunday. He did. Maybe he'll start doing um Saturday night or Sunday afternoon programs with them. It's incredible. Maybe he should. Maybe Greg Howard should step aside for the the Christian seer of the Phoenix Code. That way, when Jose calls in, he has somebody more comfortable to speak to. He won't need a translator. <laughs> right. We won't have to give targums to targets. <laughs> well, well, this is the man that calls me the master of Talmudic deception. You don't see anything like this in the Saxon Messenger. You don't see anything like these emails coming from org. You don't see anything like the bullshit in the prophetic Nazareth and why 2012, you don't see anything like that on Christogenia. I'm sorry. I don't find that stuff in the Bible. I can't teach it. I don't find that stuff in history books. I can't explain it. That's well, the way it is. Eli is the world's foremost theological expert, but in the next paragraph, when referring to Canaanites, he says, wherever they were created. So he's a theological expert, but he can't tell us where they were created. Right. Well, we're going to get into that, but I think with with the hour being rather late, it, it's going to have to be next week. It's it's. I don't foresee us being able to start this now. It, it's um, Eli James. Well, we'll start a little of it. But we'll get into the topic, and and maybe we could get it quicker that week, right? Do you want to read his first paragraph here, or, or the first couple of paragraphs? Canaan, Eli James is a universalist, as we established on our March program. Eli asserts, quote, wait, this isn't a quote. This is a summary with some Yeah, quotes. this is a summary of the assertions that from, from his um, podcast that we, we highlighted, and, and you could add your own words to these because you're familiar with these as much as I am. It's from the podcast which we highlighted that, that um, and I'll read the part about Judges chapter 3 because I, I want to explain that. But this is a summary of the assertions from the podcast that we highlighted that prove from his own mouth, and this is a March program. It was done March 16th here on Christogenia Saturdays, and it proves from Eli James' own mouth about five or six times that he is indeed a universalist. And, and, and all we did was reply with Scripture, and Eli has not answered one of those points yet. All he does is come up with 21 pages uh, of ad hominem attacks and, and, and um, subterfuge and, and accusations about me in response to five or six very pointed accusations of his universalism based on Scripture alone. Well, and he never responded to one of them. He has not responded to one of those accusations. I recognize this summary right away. This is referring to the program I did with him. Canaanites will not be entirely exterminated. They will be allowed to go back and live wherever they were created. And I raised the issue, I think, at the time, well, they, they can't go back to Satan's testicles, and that's ultimately where they were created. Right. And, and, and Eli said that with his own words. He said that. But I'm always begging the question. Right, even though the Old Testament promise us, promises us that the day is coming when there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh. Well, the earth is Yahweh's in the fullness of it. I don't see where that leaves room for a Canaanite. 
Right, and didn't Jacob say that there would be a reckoning at Sair with Esau in the end? Well, well, right. I mean, Christ says, you know, well, Isaiah says of Christ, who is this who cometh from Bozrah, whose, whose garments are stained red? They're stained red with the blood of the Edomites. That, that, I mean, there's all sorts of, of scripture which foretells the doom of the Canaanite Edomite peoples. That's aside from all the other of the world's peoples. Eli James admits in his own, in his own writing in this paper that the Canaanites and Edomites are to be destroyed, but then he tries to limit that to the Canaanites and Edomites of Palestine. Right. The, the very specific ones that were named, and was it a Deuteronomy 17 or was it 27? Deuteronomy 17, I, I, I believe, but they're named, they're, they're named earlier than that also. So, so right, it really Even Deuteronomy 17, it says, namely, the following tribes. Right. It, it's his. We'll, we'll get to that too. We're we're going to um to discuss that at length, but you know Eli. Eli keeps resorting to the parable of the Canaanite woman, and 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 the the um how I called it a parable. That may not be the exact term for it, but the event with the Canaanite woman, and how Yahshua Christ had healed her daughter, and I explained that at great length, in um. In, in my Matthew and Mark presentations of, of those Gospels, that basically the customs of the time, under the customs of the time, which Christ certainly followed, he had little choice but to heal her daughter because she was acting as a suppliant and she was agreeing with him in everything that she said and, and making the, profes the, the, the professions of truth which he hearing, he basically um, had a little choice from a cultural level but to heal her daughter. However, he being God and, and he making a willful decision to heal her daughter, we have to use the scripture. We have to resort to scripture to imagine why he healed her daughter. And if we really need to know why he healed her daughter, and Clifton Emmeheiser raised this point years ago, if we really need to know why he healed her daughter, why Christ would preserve a Canaanite, we have to go to the scripture and see what Yahweh said about preserving the Canaanites. Judges chapter 3, when the children of Israel failed to follow the commandment to exterminate all the Canaanites. This is what we have from Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which Yahweh left, Yahweh foreseeing the failure of the children of Israel, to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at least, at the least, such as before knew nothing thereof, namely, five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites, or Horites, that should be, and, and it can be academically um, changed to Horites. It could be academically proven that it should read Horites. It should be amended. And the Horites that dwelt at Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon 
to the entering in of Hamas. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of Yahweh, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So when the children of Israel failed to destroy all the Canaanites, as they were told, which Yahweh had to foresee, he, he is God, he had to foresee that. We're, it, it's explained to the children of Israel that these Canaanite nations were left so that Yahweh could use them to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken under the commandments of Yahweh. Well, the commandments of Yahweh tell us to be a separate people. The commandments of Yahweh, the, the law of Yahweh tells us that Israel will be saved, that mercy is for Israel, that the law and the prophets are only for Israel. And here, 1,500 years later, because Eli sees Christ preserve a Canaanite woman's daughter, he imagines it's for a different reason than the reason given in Scripture, and he wants to extrapolate that into the salvation of Canaanites in the end days, contrary to all the Old Testament Scriptures. This man is no theologian. He's only a Jew huckster playing Christian identity pastor. That's what he is. If you want to imagine why God incarnate saved the Canaanite woman's daughter, you better go read the word of the living God and follow his instructions and his reason. I'll tell you what, that Canaanite bitch was preserved to prove the children of Israel, and Joe November, he fails the test. Because he would deny the word of God and save the Canaanite whore. That's what he would do. Well, and his Crumbs paper proves it, and his other papers prove it. His attacks on me and Clifton, his persistent attacks on us, proves it beyond all doubt. You want him to read the Bible, that would take away time from writing papers, Beasts of the Field, Shells, Crumbs, The Great Impersonation. Yeah, he should read the Bible instead, right, but it's more important to um, slander people in paper after paper after paper. Right, you're right. You're probably right. I'm sure. <laughs> if you want to look at why Christ saved the Canaanite woman's daughter, you better read Judges chapter 3. But what about the um, white people who are only 15% Canaanite? Well, they are the people that Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compré explained were tares. Well, it sounds like they're exterminationists. Well, they must be. So the tares don't get to go back to where they came from? Those people are tares. They're the people, the people, the Canaanites with the most white blood in them, they're the people that could sneak in among the wheat. They're the people that can undermine the sheepfolds. They're the tares. And that's what Wesley Swift would have told you, and that's what Bert Compare would have told you. It's all over the bundled and burned, right? They're cast into the furnace. They're cast into the furnace. Yes, they are. The tares are gathered. That's why we can't separate the tares from the wheat. Adolf Hitler tried and failed. It's the word of God that they stay till the end. And when the fisherman brings his net onto the boat and starts to separate the fish, what happens to the bad ones? Do they just get tossed back in the water and they go back to where they came from? 
You, you know, the fish that are caught up in the net, the kingdom of heaven is like a net, and it gathers up every kind of fish. And that word kind is genos, and it means race. And the good kind, there's only two kinds. All these kinds of fish, every kind of fish is basically divided into two groups. The good kind, which are gathered into vessels, and they go to the kingdom of heaven. They're the sheep. The bad kind, and there's only one kind, so if you're not a sheep fish, if you're a goat fish, a pig fish, a dog fish, it don't matter. You're a bad kind. You're going not back into the sea. You're going into the fire. That's what it says. You're not going back into the sea. You're going into the fire. That's hateful. That is, that, that's exterminationism for all those poor bad fish. Shouldn't they be judged on their works? Right. Well, men are going to be judged by their works. Adamic men, because that's what a man is. Romans chapter 5. But, you know, um, Joe November says they're beasts of the field. They're the beasts in Genesis, but then they evolve later into kingdoms and nations to be judged by their works. Right. The bad, are, the, the bad fish in the parable are cast away. But they're not cast back into the sea. And Christ says that so shall it be at the end of the world, the angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from amongst the just. And those wicked are cast into the fire. So they must be the bad fish. Then there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when Jose doesn't go back to Mexico to live happily ever after. But he's not from there. He's an artificial hybrid. Right. Yes, he is. That's why I find it particularly amusing when I see mestizos with signs that say, "All illegal, you know, um, all pilgrims are illegal. All whites illegal on this continent since 1492. Who's the illegal pilgrim? This is our land." And it, of, of course, it immediately occurs to me: well, they're the result of mixing between Jews, white Spaniards, white Portuguese, and indigenous peoples. So they are not the native inhabitants of this continent. They're a hybrid creation. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Most of these non-white races can demonstrably, in recorded history, be proven to be hybrid peoples. And yeah, that includes all of the Arabs, all of the people in India, all of the people in Central Asia, every single one of them. All of the people at the eastern extremities of Asia, every single one of them, the Arabs had carried their seed with their merchandising for a thousand years before the English got there, all the way up to the southern extremities of Japan, the coast of China, and the Philippines. That's, why the, that, that's where all those Muslims came from in the Philippines and Malaysia. They came from the Arab period of trade there, before the English and the Portuguese got there. The Arabs were trading all along the coast of Asia for a thousand years before the English and the Portuguese got there. And, the, and they had bastardized that entire region long before the English and the Portuguese got there. Yes, sir. None of those people are pure in, in any sense of the word. The seed of Cain and Canaan and Edom 
was spread all the way to Asia long before the English and the Portuguese got there. And that's historical. And the mongrelization of Mexico, Central America, South America, that's historical. Well, Joe November, again, he's the world's foremost authority on theology. He doesn't know history, archaeology, or migratory patterns and mixing of races. Well, well, you can't understand a damn thing about the Bible if you don't know at least a modicum of history, archaeology, migratory patterns, mixing of races. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. Nice try. You're not corrupting this Christian identity ministry. Your ideas don't hold water. They simply don't. Eli claimed, you know, Eli denies being a universalist, aside from what he said about the Canaanite woman, which we have seen, you know, it's scriptural that Yahshua, he healed the Canaanite woman's daughter, but if you want to know why, you better go read Judges chapter 3. Don't make up your own damn story. Eli James makes up his own story as to why that may have happened. You better check your Old Testament first and read Judges chapter 3 and find out why Yahweh decreed when the children of Israel failed to exterminate them. Why Yahweh decreed that the Canaanites were being saved. And that's, that, that's also seen in, in, in the, um, the admonitions that because Israel didn't exterminate these people, they would be pricks in our eyes and thorns in our sides. And that Canaanite woman's daughter, in, in Matthew chapter 15, she's one huge prick in the eyes of tens of millions of Christians because they all read that story and say, oh, universalism. It's right, and, and Eli James's Crumbs paper promotes that same idea. Now, I would say that um, the Canaanite woman can't be in the pricks of, in the eyes of Joseph November because he is her nephew a few times removed, or at least a cousin. Eli claimed in, in that program he did with you that Isaiah chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 insists that all the aliens will go back to their original homelands. That's an absurd claim. But he, he totally fails to read the next two verses which tell us that they'll turn to their own land, but everyone that is found will be thrust through with the sword and that their children will be dashed to pieces. How do you read Isaiah 13, verses 13 and 14 in relation to the end times and miss verses 15 and 16? Well, you'd have to have an agenda. You, you're a universalist. You're advancing a universalist agenda. You're reading down the page. You get to the part about every man shall go his own way to his own land, and you think, great. You look at the next verse, oh, my God, they'll all be put to the sword. None of them will make it. Ooh, I, I better go back up a verse and just stop there. Right. When, when Eli James, when, when he explained Christ's healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter, he took the words of the Canaanite woman and he made Christian doctrine of, out of them. When he did a program called Exterminationism with Greg Howard, 
I think it was August of 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And, and we played this segment on our Eli James, the Universalism of Eli James program. When he did that program, he took the words of the king of Assyria as they're recorded in the book of Jonah to somehow prove that bastards can be saved being judged according to their works. That's universalism. And he took the words, we see a pattern here, right? He took the words of the Canaanite woman and made Christian doctrine out of them. The line about the dog eating from the master's tables. That's the words of the Canaanite woman. It's not the words of Christ. She was only making an allegory. She wasn't giving us scripture. She can't. She's Canaanite. When we get to the book of Jonah, Eli takes the words Jonah recorded. Yahweh said he wanted the men of Nineveh to repent. So Jonah recorded the commandment of the king in response to the words of Yahweh, right? And the king said that man and beast should repent. Do you think Yahweh cared about the beast? Or was the king just trying to make extra sure that Yahweh's word was followed? Yahweh didn't care about the beasts. He only wanted the men to repent. He never said anything about the beasts. Eli took that man and beast line, which was the line from the the king of Assyria that Jonah simply recorded. Jonah was only recording the king's response. Eli's making Christian doctrine from the words of the king of Assyria. And they're not Christian doctrine. They only show the response that the king had to the word of God. That's all they show. I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm seeing a pattern too. Eli will next take the words of Cain. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, we're not our brother's keepers. Cain said so. What the hell? Next he's going to take the words of the serpent. Surely thou shalt not die. Right. We don't take the words of people who, who are, and, and I explained this in, in my, um, my presentation on Peter's vision last night, right? Yahweh said, do not call common, or un- common what I have cleansed, right? Well, Peter interpreted that a little differently, but we should follow what Yahweh said explicitly, the words that are attributed to him explicitly. We don't make Christian doctrine out of the words of the king of Assyria. We don't make Christian doctrine out of the words of the Canaanite woman. We only make Christian doctrine out of the words of God. And how people, how various people interact with those words in the Bible, we learn from that, but we don't make doctrine out of the statements of men, not even if those men are talking in the Bible. We obey the words and commandments of God as they were handed down, those we make our doctrine out of. Of course, Eli James would pay more attention to the words of the king of Assyria than he would to Isaiah's words in Isaiah 13, verses 15 and 16, which he conveniently has ignored for many years now in relation to his agenda concerning eschatology. Well, reading Isaiah 13, how could he miss 15? If he's reading through here and he decides he's going to read 13 and 14, he has to see 15. He's just seeing it and it causes a shock. Oh, my God, I can't read that. It'll overthrow everything I'm trying to build. Either that or giving him the benefit of the doubt, verse 14 is the last chapter on a page he never turned. That's a possibility. It's an outside shot. I think, rather, he knows verses 15 or 16 are there. And he has an agenda, and he purposely ignores them. 
anybody that digs up Eli James's um, Eli James's email from March twenty first, two thousand twelve, entitled May Fifth Vision, where he's promoting the end times forecaster.blogspot.com, who looking at that website, one will easily find is a Mexican, is a mestizo. And Eli calls him the Christian seer of the Phoenix Code and predicts he joins in the prediction of a false flag event, Phoenix, Arizona, to be, you know, the Illuminati plan to detonate a nuclear bomb there. Eli joined in that event. That, that forecast with this Mexican and called this Mexican a Christian seer. So what does that make Eli? A Jew. Well, well you, you know, Eli on Republic Radio, he's setting a pattern here too. On Republic Radio, in that program that, that, that we had um, highlighted in our Universalism of Eli James um, program, and we played this tape. It's a lengthy tape. I think it's like a five-minute segment, right? Eli told the Mexican called Jose that he could be a Christian. And Eli told this Mexican named Jose that it was obvious in Scripture that God wanted all the races to work together. This program is available. These are Eli James's own words or Joseph November's well, own if words. it's obvious in Scripture, could he show me? Right. And he, he, he said these things, and it's on Christogenia, and the links are there to Eli's original program on, on the Christogenia forum, I believe. And Eli said these things, and it comes from his own mouth, and we played the segment. We played this lengthy segment on our March 16th presentation of the universalism of Eli James. It, it's un, undoubtable, it's indubitable that he said these things. And and these things are absolutely contrary to anything that that um, I've ever seen in Christian identity, uh, unless of course you're maybe Dave Barley or Ted Wheeland. I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to read this quote, or or would you like to read the quote from Eli James's book, The Great Impersonation, page one eleven? Quote: The other major point to bear in mind is that Jesus, like the Old Testament prophets distinguishes between Israelites and non-Israelites. Although Jesus is not exclusive in his teaching of the law, it is nevertheless a fact that for Jesus, true Israel plays a major role in the salvation of this world. Jesus does not consider non-Israelites unworthy of his attention. Jesus was not preaching truth, justice, love, and mercy for one group of people only, namely the tribal in-crowd. He was preaching these things for all people. End quote. Kumbaya, kumbaya. Yeah, right. The next move is to start baptizing niggers. That's the next move. I I'm surprised he hasn't done it yet. How could you say that Christ came, Christ said he only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When you read the Psalms, the law was never given to the wicked. Psalm 50. Psalm 50 tells us that the wicked should not even have the law well, in their mouths. Well, 137 tells us that Yahweh never gave the law to other nations. He only gave the law to Israel. Period. 
but you're ignoring what the Canaanite woman said. I mean, you, you just want to focus on what Jesus said. What about the Canaanite woman? Joseph November has built his ministry around a singular event which he misinterprets concerning the Canaanite women, woman, and he has extrapolated that event concerning the Canaanite woman. He has extrapolated that into salvation for all the world's bastards, for all the world's Jews, for, for basically, for, for um, I mean, where, where does it end? I don't think it ends. Well, I, I suppose the next step is that faith is no longer important either. So you can be a bastard Arab Muslim and you're still covered because you're going to be judged on your works. And it doesn't matter that you um, pray to tree god or moon god or whatever, whatever um, Allah is supposed to be. The biblical teaching is that the children of Adam are judged based on their works. Right. Not the children of bastards. They're not judged in that judgment. But according not to of the other races, they're not judged in that judgment. According to Eli, though, he'd have a conflict with Ezra. I believe Ezra told the men to put away their strange wives and their bastard children. Eli would want the men punished, and the bastards can come into the congregation, and they'll be judged on the merits of their works. According to Scripture, the judgment based on our works doesn't gauge our salvation. We're all saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, even a man with no good works, even though all his works have burned up in the fire, he himself will be saved. And that can be demonstrated from the Old Testament. The judgment gauges our reward. We're rewarded based on our works. But all Adamic men are saved. All Israel is saved. All the seed of Israel shall be saved and shall glory, Isaiah chapter 45. All the seed, not all the tribes like Joseph November tries to make it. Oh, the 12 tribes will all be there. Well, no shit. And yeah, I said that. No shit. That's absolutely obvious. But Isaiah doesn't say all the tribes. Isaiah says all the seed, all the offspring of Israel shall be saved and shall glory. All Israel, as Paul said, shall be saved. There's no doubt. Now, some of them are going to have no reward, and that's basically eternal reproach, eternal disgrace. But they're going to be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, even if a man, all his works, burn up in the fire, he himself will be saved. Paul again said in Corinthians that, um, that he sent his adversaries off to Satan for destruction of the flesh so that their spirits could be saved in the day of Christ. That again is the words of Paul of Tarsus. I'm not making it up. I can't tell you what chapter it's in. It's in the letters to the Corinthians somewhere, but it's in there. I can't wait to do Paul on my Friday night program. Acts is... is been enjoyable, but I can't wait to do Paul. Eli oh. James, in the Great Impersonation, page 111, second guesses Yahweh. Yahweh says he doesn't change. He says he don't change. And, and that means if he doesn't give his law to aliens in, in, in Psalm 137, that he's not giving them to them in, in Matthew chapter 15. He didn't tell the woman to sin no more. He didn't tell the woman to follow me. He told the woman, go thy way, it'll be as you say. She got her, she got her crumb, 
But that doesn't get her salvation. This is told. This page one eleven of the greatest great impersonation is absolute anti-Christian subterfuge. It's universalist pap. Psalm one forty-seven verses nineteen and twenty. Eli James said Jesus was not preaching truth, justice, love, and mercy for one group of people only, namely the tri the tribal in crowd. Now, now that's some Jewish language if I ever heard it. That that that's, comes right from the pages at a Frankfurt school. He was preaching these things for all people. That's the words of Eli James. Psalm one forty seven, verse nineteen, speaking of Yahweh, he showeth his word unto Jacob his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any nation. As for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye Yahweh. There's another universalist statement, and this, you know, I'm not going to counter this this week. We'll counter this next week. There's another universalist statement by Eli James, which I've quoted several times. It's in his Beast of the Field article on his website. It's in Beast of the Field Part 5 in the July 2011 edition of the New Ensign Magazine. On page 6, I have that original PDF linked in the Christagenia forum. Eli wrote, and I quote, speaking of the end times, speaking of the return of Christ, Eli wrote, the blacks will go back to Africa. The Orientals will go back to China. The Mexicans will be sent back to Mexico. And we Adamites will keep the lands that Yahweh has given to us, and there will be peace and prosperity everywhere after Adam kind gets restored to the condition intended for our parents, Adam and Eve. That's a universalist statement, no matter how you slice it. Well, all I can say is kumbaya. <laughs> kumbaya. Well, right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, why not start baptizing the Orientals, the Mexicans, the niggers, and, and everybody else where, that, that he imagines might go back somewhere? Ezekiel tells us that we'll be burying the bodies for seven months. Oh, we'll be burying the bodies of the exterminationists, the haters like you, Bill, and the people like me who beg the question. Isaiah 13, which Joseph November loves to misquote, let me read Isaiah 13. I'm going to read that right now. Let, let me find it. it. I'm a little slow here. This Bible works is um, not exactly a joy to navigate. It's all right, but it's not a joy. Isaiah 13, verse 13. Joe November loves to quote this. Therefore, Yahweh speaking, therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. In the wrath of Yahweh of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as the chaste roe, and as a sheep that no man takes up. They shall turn every man to his own people, and flee everyone into his own land. That's why James stops reading there. Whenever he quotes this passage, that's where he stops reading. Well, the next verse is verse 15, and it says, Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. 
their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. That doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound to me like they're all going back to their own nation to live happily ever after. Well, they might be going back to their own nation, but it's fertilizer. Right. Now, he's been promoting this passage and stopping at verse 14 for four years now in connection with his universalist eschatology. For four years, nobody... I sat patiently and waited for four years. Nobody called him out. Nobody. Nobody said, well, what about the next verse, Eli? Not one of the idiots that listened to him said, what about the next verse, Eli? The next verse don't sound so good for those people. Well, I don't believe he ever tried to read that when he was on a show with me because I would have said, well, what about the next verse, Eli? <laughs> right. And I would have tried to read it, and I'm sure he would have had some explanation for how that's an allegory. It's incredible that he gets away with his bullshit, and that people, especially Christian identity pastors, still accept him as a two-seed-line Christian identity pastor. And in reality, he's a master manipulator, he's a psychologist, he's pretty quick on his feet. I'm hoping to get a, a video, I have it on, on um, VHS downstairs, uh, of a good example of Eli shifting his position on a moment's notice talking to a Klansman, where Eli says, talk, speaking of his own Klan chapter, Eli James says, oh, we've allowed white nationalists and neo-Nazis to talk at our meetings because they're our brethren. And the Klan leader of another Klan chapter says, well, they're not our brethren, they're not Christians, they can't be our brethren, or something like that. And Eli James did a very slick about face, and he said, oh, well, we discovered that same thing. That's what he said. And, and it's, it's, it, it's a perfect example of how this man, and, and I have it on tape. This actually played on, on, on a National Geographic special on the Klan, and, and Pastor Mark Downey's listening to this program. He might have a better copy of it than me. But but um, the copy we have is a little poor. If he has it, or he might know what I'm talking about. But, you know, it's a perfect example of how this Joseph November character has the ability to, just like a chameleon, change his colors immediately. He does it all the time. So depending on the port he wants to move into, the flag on his boat changes. Absolutely. He's flying there, under false now, colors. Clifton M. Heiser said he's flying under false colors. Yes, he is. And with this, we will end. My, my, my servers are about to cut off, and um, they've already cut off. We're only on talk show. Thank you for being here, and praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. See you next weekend. Good night.